There we go. Now you can see, you're getting the whole, whole gamut of having one person here doing this. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat or drink in? Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Will you pray with me? Father, Thank you for the ability to study your word. Even if it's after the fact, we get to come and do it alone and share it with others around the world. Lord, I ask that with the proclamation of your word, the blessing would come, that people would come to know you better and would follow you with their lives and would know what it means to make you a priority. As I'm up here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. So the Corinthians had been dividing their church between the haves and haves nots. This is always a problem. We shouldn't do it. But the Corinthians, so the early church, when they had their worship service, they would have their, their worship service, and then they'd go directly into a meal, and part of that meal was the Lord's Supper. So during this time, during that meal, celebrating the Lord's Supper, they would divide the church. You would have the rich that ate in the dining room with the socially elite. And then you had in the courtyard, you had everyone else. And is that right? What, what would happen is those rich would eat their fill before those in the courtyard had finished being served. And they would get the leftovers. And some people went home hungry. That shouldn't be. Should not be, Paul says. And through this passage, he presents important principles about worship. He said that our attitude for worship should be humility, unity, service, and focus. He said that our focus in worship should be Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' redemption, and Jesus' proclamation. When we have the right attitude and the right focus in worship, there's a certain result. A blessing comes to those who seek God. However, when we have the wrong attitude and the wrong focus, there is a different result. Today, we're going to start with the first. We're going to start about what that different result is, and then we're going to move on to the blessing. 
Paul warns the Corinthians that they are bringing discipline because of their sinfulness while taking the Lord's Supper. We read in 1 Corinthians 11, 30 to 31, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. What is the sin that, that Paul is talking about there, the sin of the Corinthians? Many people read that verse we just read and they're confused about it. They read the passage and forget the context of what is going on. Paul previously said, hey, this is what's going on. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. The Corinthians were using their worship services and specifically the Lord's Supper to divide the church. That's, how the, that's the sin that's happening. They're dividing the church. Those of rich and social status, eat over there. The rest who are not worthy, eat over there. Those who were guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord were those who despised a poor member by utter disregard for his need. The rich were reclining at the, his, at the table, gorging themselves, while the poor ate scraps in the courtyard. The rich did this, knowing that some of the poor would be going home to pantries that were empty. And they said, no, don't care, I'm going to do my own thing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine: for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. What's meant by the body of Christ here? Interesting, in the religion language, of Christ is not there. It's just read without discerning the body. I believe that Paul's talking about the body of Christ, but is he talking about the physical body of Christ or something else? I believe that the sin of the Corinthians is against the body of Christ as in the church, not the physical body of Christ that hung on the cross. The Corinthians were not discerning. They were not seeing that they're a part of one unit. Therefore, they ate in an unworthy manner because it was us and them instead of us. It was, how can I meet my desires instead of, how can I meet their needs? What was the result of their sin? Well, the result of the Corinthians' sin was drastic. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 to 30. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. The Corinthians did not sin against the elements of the Lord's Supper, the crackers and juice. They were being held accountable for sin against Jesus Christ. They claimed to be identified with him. They claimed to be one with his body, but they were using the celebration of the meal as an occasion for social enjoyment or as an occasion for boosting their status. They had no regard for the unity that sharing the Lord's Supper is supposed to proclaim. And because of their sin against the body of Christ, the body was hurting. Many people in Corinth were sick uh, because of their sin, and some had even died because of their sin. Some people might look at this and say, isn't that harsh? And I respond, what is the appropriate response to sin against the body of Christ, what the Corinthians were doing? Paul's warning in this passage is not against those who are leading unworthy lives and longing to be forgiven. Those who said, you know what, I blew it this week. I'm coming because I want to be, I want to fellowship with Christians. I want to seek Christ and I want to do better. That's not who Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about his warning was to those who are making a mockery of their behavior with that which should have been the most sacred and solemn thing. So God disciplines them because a good parent will discipline their child. Believe me, you should all be very glad that my parents disciplined me. I, I've told you many stories about my past, but I've not plunged the depths of them. My parents could share more. My sister could share more. God disciplines us so that we would stop sinning and that we would turn back to him. And sometimes 
He takes us home when we just keep sinning. Hebrews chapter 12 says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. God is showing who we are by his discipline. And he doesn't just push us off, but he brings us in relationship through that discipline. Because there's hope. The Corinthians sit in their worship and were disciplined for it, but Paul offers hope through it. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 to 32. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. The, the Corinthians were being disciplined so they would repent and turn back to Jesus. When God disciplines it, it's, so, it's one of the proofs that we are his. There, there are many people who go through life and they say, I'm not disciplined. I, I, I am able to do things and there's no problem with it. And, and maybe they should look at themselves and say, are they actually followers of Jesus Christ? There are many people who, who come and attend church all their lives, but they say, hey, I'm a Christian because I attended church. Or, or they've prayed certain prayers, or they've been baptized, or they've taken communion, or confirmation, or done any of these other things. They, they're good people, they're parents, but they've never made the decision themselves to trust in Jesus as, of their, Jesus as their savior. They never said, I am a sinner, and I realize that my sin has separated me from God, and I trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, his death on the cross, his paying the penalty for my sin to save me and forgive me. When we make that decision ourselves, we're his, we're his children, and then he disciplines us to bring us back into what we should do. The author of Hebrews says it this way, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. The discipline, when it happens, that God sends us, causes us to stop and wonder what is happening. And then God makes us clear what we need to change. There are some people who come to me and they say, Pastor, this is happening. Is it God's discipline on my life? And I ask them, well, is there something that he should be disciplining you for? And they either look at me and say no, or they look at me with deer in the headlight looks. And I says, well, then maybe it is God's discipline and you should change and repent. There was a period of my life when I struggled with some serious sin and God brought someone special into my life and my sin almost caused me to lose that person and I went through some hard times and some things, some hard processes to to grow from that sin and leave it behind. Discipline is hard. Discipline hurts, but it happens that we would be changed when we come back to God. Paul urges the Corinthians to change, to start seeing their church as the body of Christ and to worship in that unity. And he knows they will change. He expects it. He doesn't say, hey, change, but I know you won't, so I'm just gonna leave you to your stuff. He says, he says look at this, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty four. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment. That's something they need to do to change. Then he says, and when I come, I will give further directions. He says, I'm pursuing a relationship with you. You need to change, and I'm gonna keep you, I'm gonna follow you with you through it. That's what God does. God continues a relationship with us. He, said, he brings up the discipline in order to put boundaries on our lives so we don't go to all these things that cause pain. He puts boundaries on them. 
He says, follow me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with you through it. I'm pursuing a relationship if you just pursue me. The Corinthians sinned. They were disciplined, but there was hope through it. What was waiting on the other side of this ordeal for the Corinthians was the result of a proper attitude and proper focus of worship. The result is blessing. All the blessings that come pursuing a creator. We could, we could spend all day talking about the blessings of pursuing our God. We'll spend all eternity glorying in those blessings. There's blessings that are personal to us. There's blessings that are corporate to the whole church. Uh, today we're going to leave the personal blessings for later. We're just going to talk about the corporate blessings today. And we're just going to talk about three of them. The first one, I'm just going to briefly talk about it, is lack of judgment. When we have the correct attitude and focus of worship, there is no judgment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 33 to 34, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Technically, we shouldn't live out of fear. But as I tell my kids, if you don't want to be disciplined, don't disobey. Don't do it. Life would be so much easier if you just did what I said. God is the good father. He knows the blessings that come from following him, of glorifying him with our lives, and he knows the pain that comes from doing everything else. And he sends discipline. He puts up those barriers to keep us from doing everything else and to show us, hey, there's pain over here and bring our focus back to him so we can get blessing. Cover Bible Church has gone through some hard times in their past since their founding in 1976. Lots of ebbs and flows in the ministry. I've spent seven years here and I've seen ebbs and flows even here. And I've seen something fascinating. When we as a church have the focus of following God, have the focus of praying together and seeking God's face, we grow spiritually and God brings people. When we don't, we don't grow spiritually and people start leaving. Last January, we started our Wednesday night prayer meeting and we've, in this past year, we've seen people turn to Jesus. Last June, we baptized four people. And for the five years before that, we hadn't baptized anyone. Families have started coming. Marriages have grown. We've created a new parking lot. And we're remodeling the kitchen with a thundering drive that I never would have imagined happening. All because we've been praying as a church for this past year. Before January, we had lost that focus. And I saw, saw the change happening, that we were going in the wrong direction. And I was thankful for people jumping on board and joining me in that refocus. But I can't help but wonder what would happen if the majority of us as a church actually started praying together instead of just the small group on Wednesday nights. I know that some of you can't come on Wednesday nights, but you can, you can invite someone else over to your home on another night and say, let's pray weekly for us as a church. What would happen if we as a church did that? all the time. What would God do? What would God do? I know what would happen if we didn't. If we don't refocus back to Jesus, we as a church, we splinter, we fight, we hold grudges, we start asking, what can I get out of this instead of, what does God want? So yes, there's a blessing of focusing on Jesus. There's a lack of judgment that's there, and there's a growth. There's also a blessing of unity. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. We're designed to be one body, a healthy body. And when our physical body is sick, we don't feel good. 
I know some people who act like they're dying when they have a head cold. You might know some people like that. You might be one person. And they lay around. They're surrounded by used Kleenexes and they're moaning and groaning. Such people are very fun to watch. When a church isn't unified, they're sick. And we can see the sickness. We can see the moaning and groaning on the inside, though they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand they need to come together and be unified and work through reconciliation issues. Uh, Unfortunately, when a church gets sick and they don't turn around, they just get sicker and sicker and pretty soon they get an amputation. And they might heal from it, but they're never the same again. Jesus prayed in John 17, 20 to 23, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus designed his church to be unified. When we come to the Lord's Supper, eating the elements together, we are declaring to ourselves and to everyone who sees it that we are the body of Christ. And as such, we are one. We, we all are parts of the body. We all have our own different, different giftednesses and uniquenesses, as we're going to discuss in two weeks. And therefore, we're gifts to each other as we use them for each other. Sometimes it's hard to swallow because we, everyone has that person in the church and they, they groan whenever that person walks in. We're like, oh, why does crazy Uncle Bernie have to be here today and ruin everything? He's not a gift to us, but he is. Everyone who's part of the body of Christ is a gift. And when we come together and realize our unity and declare that the assurance of acceptance that Jesus offers, that, that he accepts the sinful and the weak, and the weary. But doing it by faith, we are declaring again the assurance that Christ receives sinners of which I am the chief. One of this understanding that we're all sinners, we're all the same, we all need Jesus, it brings unity. And this unity of this humility is such a blessing because we have a better understanding of who God is and who we are. We have a better ability to share the gospel because we're saying, I have no idea why God saved me. I don't deserve it, but if he accepted me, he can accept you too. So will you turn to him? When we have have this humility and this unity, we have people we can turn to in times of grief and in times of joy. Unity is health, and health is always a blessing. The last blessing comes from service to each other. 1 Corinthians 11, 34. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. We're called to serve one another. It's interesting that so many churches stress an examination of sins before taking the Lord's Supper. They have a time of prayer, the time of public confession, there's an absolution before eating the elements. And Paul, Paul here, when he talks about examining ourselves, the examination is not for sins, but for attitudes. Does the Corinthians have the right attitude of worship? What is their attitude toward those who are more needy than themselves? Paul is calling for a more radically different group of people to abstain from taking the Lord's Supper than usually appears. One commentator says it this way, all repentant sinners are welcome, no matter how far away from God they've recently felt. All professing believers who are unprepared to give generously of their wealth to help the poor in their midst or who treat people of lower classes as second-class citizens, or who simply remain unreconciled with fellow celebrants, should refrain. Jesus said it this way, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. So what does it mean to be unified? What does it mean to serve one another? In our fellowship meals, we offer to-go boxes for anyone. If they can't stay for the meal, they can take a clamshell and eat it on the way. If they have someone at home who can't make it, like a husband or a sick family member, they can eat and they take a clamshell and take it home to that person. If you've eaten the fill and you realize you have no food for the week, you can take some food and take it with you because we want to serve. We want to show that we're unified. Regularly throughout the year, we take offerings on fifth Sundays to help ministries from around the world. Last week, we took an offering for Beginnings Pregnancy Resource Center. Only 12 people came. We took an offering. We extended it this week so that people can have the opportunity to give. Every year, we make a budget for the church, and we have a line item to help people who can't make their rent or their utilities or they don't have enough food. We, we help them out with that. We encourage people to volunteer at the food pantry or deliver food for the senior center because we want to help. We want to be unified in our service, but we can still do more. It is for us as followers of Christ to continually look at how we can seek unity and how we can serve those around us, both in the body and in the community. There's a blessing when we stop looking inward and start looking outward and helping those around us. Paul told the Ephesians, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How are we doing? How are we doing? If you can think of a way we can promote unity and service, drop me a note through text, email, or note card, and let us keep pursuing Christ together. The attitude of worship, humility, unity, service, focus. The focus of worship, Jesus' death, Jesus' life, Jesus' redemption, his proclamation, the result of worship. Blessing through unity and service. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, and help all of us Wherever we are, Lord, help us to have this focus of worshiping you. May nothing come and be more important than you in our worship. And may the world around see that priority and want to follow you. Lord, show us your blessing through this. Thanks, Father. Amen.